Well, good morning, Stone Creek. So glad to be with you this morning. We are in this series called What If? And just looking at this idea of how we could win with money. Because money affects everything that we do. It's going to affect where you go to lunch today. It's going to affect maybe some opportunities your kids take advantage of. It may impact where you go on vacation. It may impact like what grocery store you go to or where you go buy your clothes. It, it has this ability to kind of infiltrate every single nook and cranny of our lives. And Jesus knew this would be the case. This is why Jesus talked about money more than anything because he knew that it would have this ability to maybe hold us back and lead us into bondage or or we could use it for our own freedom and he wanted it for our freedom and so one of the great dignities we have when it comes to money one of the great opportunities that we have is this ability to be able to help other people when it comes to money it's this ability to be able to be generous to help someone who may need something help someone who may be down help someone who may who may be under to help them get up. And so today we just want to talk about what it means to be generous. And what does it look like to live a life that's a generous life? And I'm going to do it from a standpoint that may feel a little selfish. And I know that selfish and giver don't always go together, but I want to talk to you about, hey, why is it good for you? Right? Like what's in it for you? Like what good can come out of your life because you gave? And I know that money is a, it's a little bit of an emotional topic. Like there's some stress that goes around money. Just, just as an example, one of the things that we've done here on occasion is we've given away money, right? We've given away cash, dollars, dinero. We've given away some money. Maybe some of you remember a few months ago, we gave away $100 in $10 bills and just to some random stranger. So what I have up here is a stack of money. What, what is it? What's that number right there? Can you tell me? It's $100, right? That's $100. I got stacks. I got stacks of $100 bills. Dollar dollar bills. I got 100. I got stacks. I got a stack of $100 bills. Now, some of you right now are like, okay, stacks, that's a lot of money. Where is the, where is the security guard for that money? Right? He's right there. So don't worry about that. <laughs> the next thing you're thinking is, please give it to me. Please give it to me. Please give it to me. Right? Like, like, like you were like, man, cause there's something that, what if I were to give away a stack of a hundred dollar bills? Like, what could that do for your life? What good could come out of it? Like, what would you buy with it? Right. What would you, what would you buy? You could buy something significant with that. Right. I mean, there's, there's a lot of money here, but, but, but let's, so let's just back it down a little bit to, what if I just put the stack there and I just pull two out? Like, what if I were to, what if I were to say, Hey, who wants a hundred dollar bill right now? Huh? What about this? How'd that feel? <gasps> Everybody did that? Why, why, why did you do that? It's just, it's just paper, right? It's just $100. <gasps> you feel how emotional that is? What if we were as emotional, emotional about giving cheerfully as we were about me tearing up some fake $100 bills? <laughs> You think I'm going to tear up money? <laughs> you don't know me very well. But you see how emotional it is? See how it grabs our heart? You see how something shifts, something happens. We get surprised. We want it. We don't want it. We would like to say we want it, but then everybody will think we want it. It's just this emotions around it. Here's what I know about you. While money's emotional, I believe to the depths of my soul you want to be known as a generous person. I believe you want to be known. I believe you love the idea of being a generous, giving 
person. I believe you want to be known as a cheerful giver. Man, we know how gratifying it is to give things away, don't we? Think about, think about a simple balloon, right? But it's cool to get a balloon. How cool is it to take a balloon and give it to a little kid and watch a smile on their face? Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's why clowns go into the clown business. That or to be in a scary movie. Man, man how, how cool is it? Man, to, it's, it's great to eat a meal. Man, how amazing is it to give a meal to someone who may not have had one recently? Man, how gratifying is that? Man, think about Christmas coming up. And you, we look forward to giving gifts and the look on someone's face when they open that gift. We know deep down that the idea of us being generous is what we want. Man, if a friend introduces you, you want them to say, he's a generous person. You don't want anybody to say, hey, this is Stephen. He is the stingiest person I know. Watch your wallet when he's around. Like, like we don't want that. At Christmas, we even have a word for someone who's not generous. They are a Scrooge. We know it, man. And it is an insult. We want to be generous. Sometimes, though, it, we find it to be a little bit difficult. Sometimes the practice of generosity doesn't always line up with our idea of being a generous person. So I want to just help us do that today. I mean, as a church, one of our core values is to give my best. And we want to give our best. We want to give our best when it comes to attitude. We want to give our best when it comes to effort. And we want to give our best specifically when it comes to money. When it comes to money. Now, now some of you are already generous givers. You probably don't think you are. That's probably what makes you generous. And I just want to hopefully encourage you to continue to be generous and maybe even look for other ways to be generous. But, man, feel some satisfaction that you're generous. Now, some of you, you think you're generous, but you are not. <laughs> you are not generous. But hopefully, maybe you need a better framework for what it means to be generous. Some of you are not generous, and you know you're not generous. And you're like, I don't, I don't want to hear the preacher talk about money. That's all they ever want is money. I'm afraid for you. Because if your heart is that cold and that callous, man, man there's something going on in there that, that you need to get to the bottom up before it's too late. So we're going to unpack that today. So let me pray for us and then we'll jump into the Bible. Hey God, thanks for the opportunity to come and to teach your word and to tear up fake $100 bills and to laugh a little bit. But God, I pray you just teach us to be cheerful givers. Lord, help us to understand how it's possible. It's how we're wired. It's what makes our lives better. It's what makes us better people. God, I pray that uh, for those who are generous, you would just, man, just smile on them this morning. Just help them feel some affirmation. Lord, for those who need to be more generous and they want to be, God, you just help them understand how that can happen in their life. And Lord, we just pray according to the most generous person we know, Jesus. Amen. Hey, so let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to start out in verse 6. Now, just um, by way of context, like as we get into this particular passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you'll notice it there on your screen. So Paul is the guy who wrote this. Paul was a great missionary in the, in the New Testament. Paul started a lot of churches. So Paul went to a city called Corinth. Let's say that together. Corinth. He went to a city, hence the letter Corinthians. He wrote them a letter. He started a church in Corinth. And after he started the church, he went to the region surrounding and started a lot of other churches. In the Corinthian church, they had resources. So it would be like him coming to Milton and starting a church. And we have resources, we have incomes, we have homes, we have you know, all, you know, schools and 
places to play and all these things. Like, so it would be a little like him coming to Milton. Then he went to Macedonia, a very poor place. Man, a very desolate place. It would be a little bit like Mississippi. He would go there, and I'm from there, so I can say that. Like, he, he would go there and start a church, right? And so he is writing to the Corinthian church saying, hey, you've got some people over here in Macedonia, and they need some help. And what I want you to do is to contribute to their needs. And what I want is I want you to go ahead and take up the offering. Go ahead and take up the contribution before I get there. So that when I'm there, there's none of this, there's none of this coercion. You don't feel guilty. You don't feel manipulated. You go ahead and figure out what you want to do. Do it. And when I come by on my way to Macedonia, I'll take it to them. Okay? And so this is the context for where we find ourselves today. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully or a lot will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Like we've all heard this verse, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, as a side note, if you read the Bible and it says something that God loves, you should just, you should just do that thing, you know? Like, God loves that. Do that. Like, that's a good idea. And when it, and sometimes in the Bible, you notice how things aren't always spelled out for you, like one, two, three. Very clear right here. So when you get one of those, grab it with all you got, right? God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, so having everything that you need at all times, whenever you need it, you may abound in every good work. And so what we see here is Paul launches into this talking about sowing and reaping. And what we see is that there is a way that the world works. The world operates on this principle of sowing and reaping. What you sow will determine what you reap. There's some principles throughout uh, our, in our universe, right? So for instance, one of those is gravity. Like if I were to take this Bible and drop it off the front, more than likely, the principle of gravity is going to take over. God's not in heaven saying, hmm, I may make that float today. <laughs> he, he's going to, it's just going to drop. It's a principle. There's just some principles. Sowing and reaping is one of those. Have you ever heard of the two-year-old principle? Like if you have a two-year-old and you get on the telephone, they want your full undivided attention. It's called the principle of the terrible twos. You know, they just, it's going to happen. Right? And, and we have this principle of sowing and reaping. A farmer, when he sows, if he wants a lot of uh, crops, what does he do? He sows a lot of seeds. And this is the way it goes. And so what Paul is saying is how you sow when it comes to generosity, when you sow your money, you reap bountifully. It is a principle that is in our, it, it's in our universe. It's the way God has set things up. What you sow, you will reap. Man, what you sow you will reap. This happens in every area. So in some of your lives, like you're, you're reaping relational conflict. And maybe because it's something that you sowed. Maybe you're reaping some financial problems and it's because of something that you sowed. And the reality is it is such a part of the way God has set up the system that he invites us to test him on it. He invites us to test him on it. In the book of Malachi, it, write, it says this. It says, will a man rob God? Hope not. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. So basically on how much money you're bringing. 
You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe. I'm going to define that in a bit, but just for the purposes of this point, bring the full amount, right, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Put me to the, let's say that together, test. Put me to the test. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. So God doesn't ask you to test him in any other area. He didn't say, hey, pick a job and test me, see if that one works. He didn't say, hey, pull the map up on the pull a map up on your computer, point to a location and move there. Like he doesn't say, test me on the place you go to school. He didn't say, test me on who you will marry. He says, test me on this and see if I will not pour out a blessing on you. Now, some have taken this verse out of context, and, and they've developed this thing called the prosperity gospel. How many of you have heard of the prosperity gospel? A lot of you, right? You may have seen it on television. Like there's some pastor, some preacher, uh, um, some snake oil, so, did I say that? Oh, um, some guy, and he'll say, hey, if you send X dollars, send in X amount of money, I'm going to send you a handkerchief, and I don't know what you do with the handkerchief, but I'm going to send it to you, and then pretty soon you're going to have a lot of money, right? If God's happy with you, you're going to have hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're going to have real stacks, not fake stacks. You're going to have all of this money, and that's not, that's, not, that's not what this verse is saying. As a matter of fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus, it says he had no, no place to lay his head. Right? He wasn't about us getting rich in the moment, but it does say I'll pour out blessing on you. It does say, meaning I will take care of you, test me on this. So what he's saying is this, hey, if you are generous, I mean, if you're a cheerful giver, it's good for you because I'm paying attention, right? I'm looking at your finances. I'm involved in your finances and blessing could look a lot different. Now, I do believe that blessing should and will be some type of financial provision for God. I don't know that it means I'm going to get uh, some, you know, be able to go buy an airplane tomorrow, but I do think I should be able to pay my rent and eat. Like I do think that there's financial blessing, but I also believe that there's more blessing than that. There's a, sometimes it looks differently. So for instance, I have a friend of mine who's a pastor and he, uh, he's a generous guy and he's got grandkids and he believes now that his relationship with his grandkids and with his kids, the fact that they get along and they hang out together and they have healthy relationships are a direct result of his generosity, a blessing from God. Man, we get the blessing of God. He says, test me on this. Man, test me on this. Is this something? And maybe this is an area for you. If you want God involved in your finances, the way you do that, the way you sow that, the way you reap God's involvement is by giving. It's by giving. A secure financial future starts by involving God today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year, today. Paul says it's the principle of sowing and reaping. Now, now I, I'm passionate about this because I've seen this happen in my life. Um, since I was a small kid, I've seen God come through for us. But even as I got married, I saw this happen. You know, I was in, working as an actuary in corporate world and uh, had um, a couple of kids or one and a half, I think, one, one on the way. And man, we went to, decided God wanted us to go into vocational ministry. So we sold everything we had. We moved to, for me to go to school, to go to seminary. 
And so when we get there, fortunately, through selling of some assets and some things that we were, I was able to go and get through debt-free, which was amazing. And as I started there, I got a part-time consulting job as an actuary. So I was able to work through um, a lot of our, about halfway through seminary. But then about halfway through, um, I, I took a job at a church making $400 a month. Now, my rent was $395. Now, if you do the math real quick, $5 is not a lot to feed a family of five at the moment. <laughs> but through that, man, I just saw God's faithfulness. And I could tell you story after story of how God provided. We'd run into somebody on campus that would just randomly hand us some money. Man, we would have something come in the mail, maybe from, you know, some income tax or whatever, that, that God would just provide for us. Now, it's humbling. It's humbling as a man who wants to provide for his family, even in the midst of school. But man, to see the blessing of God in your life, man, there's a way the world works. And if you are not reaping the blessing of God, maybe it's because he's not involved in your finances. And maybe, just maybe, it's because you're not a cheerful, generous giver. Now, now Paul goes on to say, after he talks about sowing and reaping, he said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Right? In his heart. Paul doesn't, doesn't highlight the amount of the gift. He doesn't say, hey, for those of you who contribute $250 or above, you're in the platinum club and you will get special recognition. He doesn't say that. God is interested in who you are. You see, giving is more than something that I do. It's somebody that I am. Giving is more than just me contributing some money or some time. It, it's who I am. It's who I'm designed to be. He points this out, man, that we are, we are intimately tied with our giving. Who we are is tied with our giving. The reason why is because we've been given so much. And if you look at the gospel and you think about the life of Jesus and everything, those of us who follow him that we've been given, man, we should be givers. So think about this. You've been given what? Forgiveness? You've been given a new identity. You've been given a new heart. You've been given transformation. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Man, you have been given kindness. You've been given peace. You have hope for your future. The list goes on. We have been given so much that it becomes who we are because of the one who has given so much to us. It's intimately tied to our heart. It's not just something that I do when the plate passes. Man, it's who I am all the time. I'm a generous person. Like we see this over and over in scripture, how closely and intimately our hearts are tied to our money. You know, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. Paul writes to a young friend named Timothy, says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now, now, you've probably heard that money's the root of all evil. Maybe. This is where this came from. This is not what it says, right? It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because people who've craved it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. Paul writes this to Timothy. Man, there is no significant spiritual growth until we deal with issues of money. Because it's, it's so tied to who we are. It's so tied to our heart. Now, when it comes to giving, there's some myths about giving that we adopt because we believe it's something we do. It's not com completely tied to our heart. Like, and one of the myths that we adopt is that when I 
have more, I'll start to give. Like when I have more, that's when I'll, that's when I'll start to give. We've heard this, and maybe we've thought it. Man, when I just get that next promotion, or when I get out from under that house, or when I, when I get that next bonus. Man, when I, when I get the kids graduated from college, now clearly you'll have more to give, but you won't start giving then. That's a, it's a myth, because that's always a moving target, isn't it? So, so U.S. News and World Report did a study. They asked people who were making $25,000. Says, how, how much would you need for to be comfortable? How much would you need just to settle in, right, and feel like you had enough? And they said, fifty-four thousand dollars, about double, right? Not quite double. They asked people who make hundred thousand dollars, how much would you need? How much is enough? And they said, hundred and ninety-two thousand dollars. It's double, like wherever the wherever the starting point was. I just need about double what I'm making now. Because it's always moving. Here's the reality. I would say all of us, and maybe not quite all, but if not all, 99% of us, we already have more. Have you ever think about that? We, we already have more. There's a, a, a website called the Global Rich List. I would encourage you to go in and, and uh, but I'm going to show you what it does. So Global Rich List will take your income. You can plug it in. It will show you kind of where you rank globally based on what you make, right? So we pulled one number, $60,000, and we plugged it in, $60,000. So as you can see, this is just your net income, sixty grand. Um, like what, what would you think that puts you globally, right? Just think through that a minute. Now remember, there's 7 billion people globally. And so where would that put you globally? Well, what we see based on this study is that you would be in the top 0.19% of people in the world. Okay, which means you're the 11,425,788th richest person in the world. So, so think about it this way. If for everybody making $60,000 or more, they took you and they put you in a city, you would, you would, we'd all fit in Atlanta, right? It's kind of like, think about the capital and Hunger Games. Like you'd be in Atlanta and everybody else all over the world makes less than you. In London, Chicago, Paris, Tokyo, Hong Kong, you name it, we were in the top. That's if you make 60 grand. Now let's take the median income in Milton, which by census studies is about $125,000. So if you make $125,000, do you want me to just make you sick or no? Are we going to go with this? No, okay, we'll do it. All right, $125,000, you are in the top 0.07% of people in the world. You're, in, you're the 4,106,268th richest person in the world out of 7 billion. Like, that's pretty high. Maybe. If you made a 99.93 on a test, would you say that was a good score? <laughs> now, now, the reality is we have more. Now, here's the truth. You know, if we're just, let's relative this just a little bit. Rent in Milton is not the same as it is in Burkina Faso, Africa. Right? Let's, granted, there are some ways that we operate, some ways that we live, some expectations that are on us because of where we live, which is one reason we have incomes that are higher. But let's not fall prey to the myth, when I have more, I'll give more. It's a heart issue. It's not about the amount. It's about who we are. You know, another myth that we buy into is like, hey, Stephen, I earned that. It's mine. I should be able to do with it what I want. I earned it just to spend on me. 
I earned it. Sure, I, I know I should help a little bit, but I should be the one who decides because it is mine. Well, Paul's already addressed this. It's not yours. Everything belongs to God, like, like everything. You say, well, I started this company or I ran this division or I hit these sales goals. I studied and got this degree. Didn't God give you that ability to make money? Like, didn't God give you this ability to run an organization? Didn't God give you the ability to start a business? Didn't God give you the ability to teach class? Like, let's don't, let's don't be deceived to thinking that it's ours. There's a way that the world works. Man, and God wants us to be a generous people. And when we think it belongs to us, we won't be as generous. But when we realize it's his, we will manage it and steward it for his glory. And recognize it's not ours to keep. It's ours to help out others. And there was a quote that I read this week. It says, what makes my future needs more important than someone's current needs? What makes my future needs more important than someone else's current needs? That will help us remain generous. It's not about what you have, right? It's about who you are. Now, Paul says it's easy to get there. He says this, he uses this really simple word, verse 7. He says he has decided in his heart, right? You should give as you have decided in your heart. Decide is a really complicated word, isn't it? Decide means this. It means to choose before. Just choose before. Like there are two options. Here's one. Here's another one. Just pick. And you can pick to be generous. Like we, we get to choose to be generous. It's one of the great privileges we have in life that God leaves it up to us. Man, he provides us with blessing. He provides us with resources. He says, hey, you choose. Now, there's a lot of things that we choose before. There's a lot of things that we prioritize. Like hopefully most of you this last week, you prioritized paying your rent or your mortgage. Am I right? Like you paid your rent or you paid your mortgage. You didn't wake up and say, hmm, it's the first. I wonder if I'll pay that mortgage today. Let's say I think I could take a quick trip to Florida or no, you chose you don't wake up and think, I wonder if I'll go to work today or if I'll just go to the movie. Depends on the movie, right? <laughs> you already decided. There are some things that we choose before. And, and as Americans, generally, we're not really good at deciding before. We're really good at the moment. Like, like the government re has realized this. Do you realize that's why when you get your paycheck, they've already taken your stuff out? Federal income tax, Social Security. You know why? You know when that started? 1943. You know why? It's because they were getting to tax time and they realized Americans did not have any money saved aside. And they thought, what should we do? We will just take it. Hey, let's be smarter than the government. And let's choose before. That's meaning, that means it's first. Because for, for many people, this is how we give. Okay, we, we have an income, we spend it. We pay bills. We do whatever we want, and then if there's any leftover, we'll give that away. We'll help somebody else. Maybe we'll give it to the church. Maybe we'll give it to Red Cross. Maybe we'll give it to Salvation Army. We'll, we'll give that away. So what happens is other people get our leftovers. And so we spend first, then we give what's left over. But what Paul is saying, when you choose before, we're letting our giving drive our spending not our spending drive, our giving, that we give first. It should be the first thing that we do. It should be a priority for us that we would be generous. Man, he says, decide beforehand. 
decide beforehand. And I love it when he says a cheerful giver. I mean, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, now cheerful, what, cheerful is, where we get, is a word where we get our word hilarious from. Like, have you ever looked at, seen something and it was hilarious? Like, you started laughing, you couldn't stop. It was contagious. People would walk, will walk up to you if you're laughing, and they don't know why you're laughing, but they start laughing. And sometimes they're laughing with you, sometimes they're laughing at you. It doesn't matter. They're laughing. It's contagious. There are times when Debbie and I will be somewhere, and usually maybe it's a little more of a formal event, and something will happen, and we will just get the giggles. And, she, and because we know each other so well, we know what each other is laughing at. And so we can't look at each other for the whole night because we'll start laughing and it would be inappropriate. And, and so we'll, because we know it's contagious, it's fun, it is satisfying. And this is the type of giving that we, sh- givers that we should be. And we, it should be contagious. Like we should be ready to give. Other people should see it and be like, I want to do that. It should be something that brings us joy when we give because we're created like this. Do you know this? For people who give, their health is better. Their blood pressure is lower. Their life satisfaction is higher. And physically, their bodies operate better. And that's what, that's what a cheerful heart will do to a person. God loves a cheerful, a cheerful giver. And, you, and he says this. This is great, though. He says, hey, not reluctant or under compulsion. Like, don't feel coerced. And we look at this as a loophole. It says, you know, if you feel like you're, if you feel manipulated or if you feel reluctant to give, just don't worry about it. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, hey, if you feel reluctant or do you feel coerced, stop it. Don't feel that way. You choose. Like, if you feel like somebody's trying to, trying to get your money, if you feel like you're being coerced, don't feel that way. That's what he's saying. So in other words, when, when it's time for us to give, I don't look at someone and say, okay, are you going to handle this money the way I would? I don't put strings on it. I'm just generous. Why? Because it's who I am. You see, choosing to be cheerful, it changes you. Choosing to be cheerful, man, it changes you. It makes you a better person. It makes you better in your relationships. It makes you better at work. It makes you better at home. It makes you a better person person. It changes you because it changes everything about how you see the world. Choosing to be a cheerful giver changes you. Now, eventually, 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 as we get to this idea of, of deciding, question comes up, how much, right? Like, like how much is, like, is this my level? If I give this much, am I a cheerful giver? Does God love me? Am I qualifying? Or, or is it this much? Like, what, what is that? What's the amount for me to be a cheerful giver. And the, the first step, before you ever even get to that question, you really, really need to just decide to be a cheerful giver. Because what happens is if you're waiting for an amount, this is what will happen. Whoa, that, that's a little higher than I thought. Maybe I'm not going to be a cheerful giver. Right? So you have to decide that you're going to be a cheerful giver. And then, it, but it, I do think that it's helpful to have a framework. Now, in the Bible, what we see is that, man, we're to be generous because we've received so much grace. We're to be grace givers. And so you don't ever want to get into an amount that someone tells you simply because it can come a box that you check. But it is, it is good to have a framework. So as an example, uh, let's say you decided to start jogging for whatever reason. You wanted your health to be better. You wanted to get outside, whatever. 
you were bored. So you, you decided you're going to start jogging. So you jog a mile and it's a 20 minute mile. I'm like, okay, that's a good starting point, right? You're at least outside moving, maybe crawling. Some would say, but hey, you're getting it done. So you, you, you got a starting point and then you begin, right? You begin to build some speed, you begin to build some endurance, begin to build up. Next thing you know, you're at a 15 minute mile. And you've cut 25% off your time. Next thing you know, a few months later, you're at 10-minute mile. Then you get down to a 7-minute mile, and you run, you run a 5K in just over 21 minutes. And you're thinking, I'm amazing. <laughs> like, I think I could go to the Olympics. Because <laughs> you have no framework. Then you put the Googles on it, and you realize an Olympic runner at that distance is running in about 12 minutes. And you're like, well, maybe not so much, but... At least you know, right? You need a framework. And the same is probably true with giving. Like we need to understand what the framework is in the Bible for us to really get a handle on it. Because if you think you're generous and you're not, wouldn't you want to know that? Am I right? Like, don't you want to know if you're not generous? So I'm going to help you. Here to help. Remember that. So in the Bible, there's this thing that's called a tithe. How many people have heard of the tithe? This is going to be fun. A tithe. Okay, let's all say tithe together. Tithe. Like, so tithe. And we, we throw this around. So people will throw this around. In, in their mind, they think anything I give to the church is my tithe, right? So basket comes by, drop a 20 in. I'm tip God today because I think the music was good. Not sure about the sermon yet because we do the, we do the offering before the sermon for a purpose. And so, <laughs> and so it comes by and you put a 20 in or whatever. And so you're like, yeah, that's a tithe. Or, or you give something else, that's, that's a tithe. Or maybe, maybe you're a parent and you don't, you don't get reimbursed for your childcare for something. You're like, that's my tithe. It is not, okay? So let's get clear. In the Bible, tithe literally means 10%. It literally means 10%. Like that is simple. Like if you have an amount, $100,000, if you put 10 on it, 0.1, you just move the decimal back one, that is what? It is $10,000. It's really simple. A tithe is 10%. Percent, not 9.9, not 9.8, not what I decide to give, not what I give to the church, not what I thought I should give, not what I wanted to give. It is 10%. That's what a tithe is. And so what people will say, and one of the teachings now that the New Testament has come along, in the Old Testament, you, the tithe was the 20-minute mile. The tithe was the starting point to begin giving. Right? It's, it's where they began. And so what people say, well, now we're in the New Testament. Jesus has come along. All that Old Testament stuff, we don't have to follow that. So I can just give whatever. Yes, you, you can, starting at 10%. Like, it's 10%, and then you go up from there. Some people would even say that giving is 10%. Generosity is more anything over that. And so just know when you hear the word tithe, it means 10%. That's our starting point. Now, I realize there's two ways of looking at that. One way of looking at that is like, wow, that feels like a lot. Like 10, 10 whole percent. I want you to think about it this way. Black Friday's coming up. Everybody excited about Black Friday? Come on. You are. Now, let's just say it's Thursday night. You've had a big lunch. You've watched some football. You've watched the Falcons lose on Thursday night, and you're looking at the ads to see where you're going to go shopping for Black Friday. And you begin to go through, and every sale you see is for 10%. You know what you're deciding to do? Stay home. Because 10% is not a lot. You're looking at 30%, 40%, 50%. But it is the starting point for us. It's a starting point. And God wants us to 
decide. He wants to have a framework. He wants it to be about who we are. He wants us to be a cheerful giver. He wants us to want to give. He wants to always lean into giving. He wants us to get satisfaction from giving. And this is how God's designed us. This is who we are as a redeemed people who wants to give their best, who really believes that we're going to make an impact in the world, who really wants to leave a mark. And we give. We start there, and then we go above that. Now, some practical, practical steps in that. And the first thing that you have to do is just to prepare your heart. You have to prepare your heart. I mean, before you get into how much, you just have to ask yourself, like, where is the state of my heart when it comes to generosity? Because here's the truth. Some of you are in a really bad financial position. Man, one of the things that we discovered through Financial Peace University is that, man, there are some people who have, met, who have sown some seeds of financial difficulty. And they're on the way out, but it's difficult. You, maybe you went out of the house one night to get some milk at Walmart, and you came back with a brand new car. You don't even know how that happened. You made some bad decisions. And you're doing your best to give. Now contrast that with someone who says, hey, here's my 10%. Don't, don't talk to me about it. That's a heart issue. Prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Then plan your budget. Put it first. It should be the first thing that we do. It should be the first place that we look because we want God involved in our finances. The way God gets involved is when I give when I'm generous. Plan your budget and then practice your plan. Just do it. Just do it. Just be generous. And this happens in every area. Clearly 10% goes to where your home church is, wherever you go, that's your church. But then there's so many other opportunities we have to be generous. Whether it's Operation Christmas Child or that third grader knocking on your front door to sell some Christmas wrapping paper or the list goes on. We have opportunities to be generous. Now, I'm passionate about this and not, not because it's my job. So I want to share with you just five reasons, man, why I give. So Debbie and I give a percentage here, of course. Uh, we sponsor some Compassion Kids. Um, we do some other things. And I, I wouldn't consider myself to be overly generous. But, man, there are some reasons why I give. And I just want to share those. Man, the, the first one is because my mom gave. Now, when I was growing up, man, we didn't have a lot. And there were times when we had a house foreclosed on. There were times when, when utilities didn't get paid. But my mom always gave, and we always had enough. My mom always gave, and we always had enough. I saw her practice the discipline of cheerful giving. And she always has had enough. And now as she's at 78 years old, man, she's got six incredible grandchildren. She's got a house that she lives in. She's got a part-time job that keeps her out of trouble. And my mom gave. <laughs> and I just see the blessing that God poured out on her. And my mom gave. And I, and I like to think that some of the ways that we have impact around here that some of those thousand compassion kids that we sponsor, man, some of those Christmas projects that we take on in some small way is a blessing for her because she gave when she didn't have it. She gave when she didn't have it, and God blessed her. Man, the second reason is, man, I'm just better. Like selfishly, I'm just a better person when I give. I'm a better husband. I'm a better leader. I'm a better friend. Man, I'm a better uh, parent when I give. And so are you. You are better when you give. It opens your heart up to possibilities. 
It reminds you that God's got you. It reminds you of how much you've been given. You're, you're just better. You're better when you're a cheerful giver. Man, the third reason is I'm just supposed to. I'm just supposed to. I know. I know I'm just supposed to. It's just part of how it works. It's something that I should do. And I feel that. If I didn't do it, I would feel like I was missing out on something I was supposed to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Man, I know that I'm supposed to give. And I want to be a cheerful giver. Man, the fourth reason, I want God involved in every aspect of my life, especially my money. Like over this last month, if you've watched the stock market roller coaster down, right? Don't you want God involved in your personal finances? As you get closer to retirement, I want God, I want God involved in my finances selfishly. I want to be sure he got me. Man, and lastly, it's the gospel. When I remember how much Jesus has done for me, when I remember how much he saved me from, when I remember how much value he gave me, how can I not give? Like, and if I want to see Jesus elevated in my life, in the life of our church, the life of our community, man, man I, I have to be a giver because of so much, the riches of heaven that have been given to me. And maybe you're not a giver. Maybe you're not generous. And the reason why, the reason why is because you haven't experienced the Jesus that we know. Man, you haven't experienced the gospel. And that is the only thing that can transform your heart. You will be a taker until you experience the gospel that Jesus offers you. How could we do anything less? God wants us to choose to be cheerful givers. That is what will change us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, just come to you at a time of just gratitude, just grateful for all that you've given us, grateful for the gospel, grateful for Jesus who came for us, who loved us, patient with us, kind with us, forgiving us. Just grateful for that, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes focused on him and not on the amounts that we give, but God, on our heart, being a generous heart, being cheerful givers. Lord, that it, for those here who have given over the years and have made this place so effective at life change, have helped us see so much happen, God, that you would just encourage them today. And God, for those who want to be generous but can't figure out how and have run into budget problems and buying problems and debt problems and financial difficulties, God, you would just I mean, help them just to get a little fresh air today, just to lift their head above the water just a little bit to grasp some air so that they could look into the future and realize the way to have you involved is by giving God. Lord, for those whose heart is so hard um, that they, and they don't want to give, they don't care about giving, they don't care about helping others, or they, they come up with some reason or excuse, Lord, man, you just break through the barriers they'd set around, the protective mechanism they put around their hearts, Lord, and just so that they can see, man, you're good. You have good for us. But we just pray for our future. God, as we rally together to give, God, that you would and help us to be a generous people, that people would know Stone Creek is a generous church, ready and willing to help. And we just pray these things according to our King, the one who left his throne for us, who gave it all, Jesus. Amen.